Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the Book of Boredom podcast with myself, Brother Paul, and with me, as always, my eternal concubine, my eternal companion, Sister Patience. How are you doing, Sister? Oh, pretty good, thanks, Paul. How are you going on this lovely Sunday? We're actually recording on the Lord's Day. <laughs> we are. We are. Usually we record Monday nights, but uh, we've got a special guest with us today, and due to time differences, we're recording this on Sunday. Yeah. Um, so let's bring in our special guest, talking yes. to us all the way from Canada land, a very good friend of mine, uh, Brother Mark. How you doing, Brother Mark? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. How's things over there in Canada? Quite cold, and we're still on COVID lockdown. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yes. So we have to get very creative at home for entertainment. Yeah. Lots of sex. Yeah, sex. Yeah. You've had so much sex now that it's starting to get boring. I haven't had anybody to do that with. Drinking, joints, edibles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so let's, let's just get this out of the way right off the bat. So as far as I can tell, Canada is most famous for two things, okay? First of all, it's not the United States. That's right. Which is uh, which is one of the best things Yay. about it. And second of all, uh, marijuana is legal over there. Yeah. So this brings a whole new element into our conversation today because as our listeners know, I have a few drinks while recording to see if it makes any more sense as I get drunk. So far, the answer is no. <laughs> but Mark, uh, you've got to help us with this experiment. Let's see if it makes any sense while getting high. Okay. Update us if at any stage the edible kicks in and you're like, I'm seeing Moroni right now. Let us know. <laughs> I haven't taken my edible yet. This is uh, pina colada. Oh. I'm more relaxed and more tired, so uh, you're going to hear my Southern American accent kicking in. See, the only American accent I can do is like a redneck accent. That'll work, yeah. Yeah. That would be my dad, yeah. Hey, Brother Mark. Hey, how y'all doing? How y'all doing? I'm having a pina colada right here. Yeah. Edible. I'm eating it right now. All right. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, there we go. The spirit is high over there in Canada land. Now, I can mimic a southern preacher like that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Give us a sample if you go. Just give us a while. Okay. Let me just finish chewing this because I'm going to... You need the spirit to move through you? I do. Yep. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of the spirit, a little bit of the sacrament. It might take a minute to hit you. Yeah. Is your bosom burning yet, Mark? Yeah, my nipples are tingly. There you go. That's wonderful. Lactating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, you, you're drinking Maker's Mark, which is a type of whiskey, which does give you that nice burning sensation that, that mm, always warms me mm-hmm. up when I have a good Maker's Mark. The Southern preachers, uh, they would come out in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Reach down into your pockets and give me all your money. Yeah. Oh, preacher, Brother Mark. Yes. Uh, each word, uh, they talk like this. In the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Come out of our spirit. I never did that. We were more reserved. Before I was a Mormon, I uh, my mother was a Southern Baptist, and we would go, I'll go to church with her. Yeah. I didn't really buy into it, but they were very reserved. Yeah. And the preacher would preach like that, and he would talk down to us in the congregation. And everyone would be like, wasn't that a great sermon? I'm like, I feel like shit. (laughs) (laughs) No, it wasn't a good sermon. Paul tried to convert you, patience. He did back in the day. And this is the closest I've ever actually gotten to achieving that end. I tried to convert him too, you know, so... And then luckily we both realized that it was all bullshit and here we are now. <laughs> yeah, it took us a while, didn't it? We've been asking our guests to share what we're calling the getting out story. You know, the story of how they get out of the church. <laughs> the gay community has their coming out story. We have our getting out story, which uh, for you, I'm guessing, are kind of one in the same, knowing what I know about you. Yeah, pretty much. Tell us about your Mormon journey. My mother answered the door to the missionaries when they were tracting our street. <laughs> You're going to laugh. I lived on Gay Street (laughs) in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. The signs were there early on. So it was predestined. Oh, that's so awesome, Mark. Yes. And what was it like living on Gay Street? The missionaries were walking down Gay Street, knocked on our door. My mom answered the door, took the discussions, and then she said that wanted to introduce them to me. And so I listened, and I thought, okay, sounds okay. A lot of people don't realize they're gay until later in life. I knew when I was five years old 
I was born in 1958. I don't mind sharing my age. You're looking good for it. I'm 62. You're looking awesome for 62. It's the blood of virgins. And <laughs> oh, I knew that was I exfoliate a with the tears of my enemies. Oh, yes. wonderful. Yeah. But, you know, virgins are very rare now. That's yeah, I yeah. hear it's a myth, actually. They don't really exist. It's hard to find one to <laughs> sacrifice at the moment. That's right. What does it even mean? Yes. But I have my connections. In the early 1960s in North Carolina, I knew I was different. I knew I was attracted to boys my age. And when I hang out with the girls, I was a little girl. When I hung out with the boys, I was a boy. I always felt inside I was a girl. I don't consider myself trans. The closest thing I could describe is the two-spirited. I really relate to that. I always felt like male, female, the embodiment of both. And I like that. I like being a female with male skin. I love it. Love my boy bits too. I uh, was a very happy child. Then when I hit 10 years old, I knew that I was gay. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm physically attracted to boys my age. I kept my mouth shut. Did you know what gay was back then? Obviously, it wasn't as spoken about as it is now. I did not. That word did not exist then. I didn't even know what a homosexual was, but I did know that clearly that I was physically attracted to boys uh, when I was 10 years old. And I had crushed this on my male friends. But I kept it quiet because I heard how the community talked about people. So uh, I played it smart and kept my mouth shut. When I hit adolescent, it really hit me hard. Oh, it was so hard, Mark. Very hard, yeah. Because we're talking about the 19... Oh, oh, I caught the pun just now. Yeah. You little stinker. Well, that actually comes up when people say, how did you have so many children? I'd say it was really hard. That's what it must have been. So just on that period of time, though, you're feeling these attractions, but you don't know a lot about homosexuality or whatever because it's not talked about. Did you feel some sort of obligation to try to pursue girls at all? Or did you feel there was like a social expectation? Yes, I did. I went along with the, the expectations. I was really depressed. So between ages 10, 40. I thought about suicide every single day. Age 40, mm. I attempted suicide twice. Oh. So uh, that's when I had what I call it my fuck it moment. But okay, I can't fix what isn't broken. So, um, but yeah, I, my mother and I joined the church in 1975. So how old? 16. 16, yeah, okay. Yeah, and that was the most impressionable age, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, but I had a happy childhood. So my mother and grandmother didn't mind me putting on lipstick, didn't mind me clonking around in their high heel shoes. And they just said, you know, he's, he's just having fun. No big deal. Exactly. And that really uh, helped. I really had a happy childhood. But I did hear what people in the community said about, um, I think they used the term queer in those days. Yeah, that sounds like the term they would have used around that time. Yeah, yeah. They said, he's queer, or she's queer, mm. or she's an old maid. An old maid was uh, yeah. a lesbian. Oh. And a queer would be uh, a gun. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So were you an only child? I was an only child. My mother lost three children after me. Oh, wow. I must have done a number on her uterus. <laughs> So it was just you and her that joined the church, joining more because your mum wanted you to, or did you feel that you believed this thing and, and wanted to run with it? I wanted to give it a try because I really thought that they would cure me. Oh. I was so depressed. I, w I knew I was different, and I wanted to be cured. I wanted to be, as I thought in my 16-year-old head, I wanted to be normal. Mm. At that mm. point, I was so depressed. Uh, so I thought, well, why not? Let's do this. And I was very shy, very, very shy. So I just went along with what my mom did. We got baptized together. February 27th, 1975. I remember that. Okay. Like it happened yesterday. And then uh, shortly after, the bishop cornered me and said, you need to cut your hair. Okay. At that time, I had hair down here. Uh, oh, that, that's <laughs> the struggle I had in my yeah. teens all the time, too. I always wanted to grow my hair long. And my parents in the church were constantly like, get your hair cut. A couple of times since I got out of the church, just out of rebellion, I grew my hair long just for fun. I think that Paul was channeling Jim Carrey with the hair. That's a whole nother topic, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously for you, Mark, there was a lot more to rebel against and to go through at that time. It was a hard time for me, being a gay youth in the southern 
U.S. Bible Belt in the 1960s and 70s. Outside of church as well, you wouldn't have had any support with your sexuality, would you? No. That was very much a period where there was a real risk of physical harm, wasn't there? So. Yeah, it would have been dangerous. People, if they were caught, they could be treated as criminally insane. They could be locked away in an asylum. They were given lobotomies. They were shock therapy. God mm. knows what they would have done to me as a child. I might not have survived. I kept quiet, but in my being quiet and being shy, it, it was a miserable teenage life. I had bishops threaten us. They would say, if you're masturbating, we are going to excommunicate you. We're going to find you. And they would terrify us. And so I was so, oh yeah, I was so scared that I went and confessed. And the bishop sent me to therapy at LDS Social Services around 1978. You confessed to being gay or confessed to masturbating or both? Masturbating. Yeah. And they sent me to therapy for that. That's so crazy. It was crazy. And uh, the therapist says, every time you feel an erection coming on or you're getting stimulated, you need to sing a hymn. What? <laughs> As I learned, the hymn called How Firm a Foundation didn't quite work. After years of doing that, every time I would uh, hear a hymn, I would pop a boner. Yeah. Can't get a hard on. How firm our foundation. Yeah, hold to the rod. Hold to the rod, the iron rod. <laughs> we made jokes about the rod a couple of weeks ago on the show, but yeah, there was a song all about holding to the rod. Oh, yeah. So iron and so hard. It was strong and bright and true. <laughs> I held to the rod a lot, but it did not work. And that's another thing we discovered reading the last couple of chapters in the Book of Mormon is how much homoeroticism there is in there. I imagine for a gay person being there going, okay, I'll read the scriptures to try to get rid of the gay. And then it's Nephi talking about loins and holding to rods and how well built it was. And you know, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> not helping. No, it did not help at all. I had to memorize that brochure called to young men only do you remember that all yeah when i went through it was called for the strength of youth oh uh, for the strength of youth yes to young men only was written by boyd k packer what was his name Boyd K. Packer. I'll call him Boyd K. Fudge Packer. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Boyd K. Boyd K. There's there's his new name. Boyd K. Packer. You know what he wants to put in your Boyd K. Oh, exactly. (laughs) Around the late 70s, early 80s, that was when a lot of really bad Mormon stuff came out about homosexuality. There's the the Fudge Packer thing you just mentioned. Spencer Kimball came out with a horrible book called The Miracle of Forgiveness. I had to read that twice. It was called The Miracle of Forgiveness, but it was basically a couple hundred pages telling us all why we're horrible people and why we're all going to hell. Yeah. It especially Jesus. highlighted homosexuality in that book, didn't it? And that, that was openly taught to everyone. Yeah, and years later, that's the book that convinced me that I'd been sexually abused as a child. It was bogus. It was a lie. I had a happy childhood when I finally went to conversion therapy. They tried to convince me that I was sexually molested and abused, and I just could not remember it. Oh, wait, what the fuck? Yeah, and they quoted the miracle of forgiveness, and I had to read it twice. You said you thought the church could cure you. Obviously, you thought there was something wrong with you. Do you believe the church? I had a hard time believing in God. I was eight years old. I went to my mother, who was a really sweet and kind person person. She went to the Baptist church then. I said, I'm going to turn on my Southern accent for you. Mama, if we were in the created in the image of God, did God look like the uh, Neanderthals or the ape-like creatures? Or does God look like us? And she says, I really don't know. And I said, okay, thank you. And that's all I needed to hear. And after I left the church, I reverted back to that, and I've always believed that since I was a little bitty kid. I believed in evolution, I believed it, but then I joined the church and I just saw, well, let's give this a try. (laughs) I'm surprised in Bible Belt America they even taught evolution. That that surprises me there. Thanks to my grandmother, she was very open-minded. And she had her National Geographic. She had encyclopedias. And and I would just open up world maps and I would learn so much. I even wrote a letter to Dr. Leakey, you know. Oh, really? The doctor. Yeah, I was that that? determined as a child. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. For those who don't know, I'm a scientist. I love this stuff. Dr. Leakey was a famous paleontologist who um, who, who found the the bones of a a creature that became known as Lucy. Lucy, yeah. He was my hero. 
I love that guy. That guy was a rock star as far as paleontology goes. Did you hear back from him? I did. They thanked me, and I wish I still had that letter. Oh, really? I, oh. I was so happy. I think I probably slept with it for the next 10 years, and it just crumbled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Did you end up going on a mission and that sort of stuff? Interesting thing. I filled out my papers for a mission, but I knew I should not go because then I was really physically attracted to boys. And I thought, oh, this is not going to work out. If I go on a mission and I'm rooming with a hot guy, God knows what would happen. Well, okay, I knew what would happen. I can only hope that there's another hot guy there that feels the same way about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, I bet there was. Well, I was a missionary and I heard some stories, so don't worry. Oh, man. <laughs> and well, jumping back to that brochure uh, that I read of Ford K. Fudgepacker, it talked about a guy on his mission that actually hit one of his companions who was gay. And the mission president justified it. He said, it's great. You did the right thing. Horrible thing. Horrible book. I did not go on a mission. I filled out my papers. And I just ripped them apart. And I just said, I can't do this. I, I can't go away for two years, room with guys, <laughs> blow my cover. Oh, you'll blow your cover, all right. Blow my cover or blow on my covers. <laughs> <laughs> and those garments we all had to wear on missions. Oh, they were a turn on, aren't they? <laughs> oh, man, I hated those things. So what did you do instead, Mark? I guess a lot of young people, when they leave school, maybe study or go and do a trade. The Mormon expectation is you're a man, you hit 19, you go on a mission. Like, if you don't go on a mission, there's something wrong. So did you get any blowback? I did. I kept being reminded that if you do not serve a mission, you're a menace to society. Also, if you're not married before you're 25. A menace to society if you don't go on a mission? That's what I was told, yeah. Yeah, you're letting God down. You're letting the team down. Wow. See, that was the crazy thing with going on a mission is they tell you that it's voluntary and you don't have to. That's right. But if you don't, they do the shit out of you until you do. That's right. You're absolutely free to choose, but why haven't you gone yet? You're absolutely free to choose, but are you going to go sometime soon? Have you been sinning? Have you done something wrong? Why are you going? So much for free agency. I mean, for me, it was all I'd ever thought about anyway, so I didn't have any trouble going because that was all I was going to do with my life. But I don't know if you guys who very reluctantly sort of in their early 20s went on the mission just because they got sick of people giving them shit for not going. Wow, really? Well, a lot of boys in my hometown, Kannapolis, North Carolina. Kannapolis. No, the city of looms. Not loomies, but looms. <laughs> <laughs> like weaving cotton. Ah. Oh. Yeah, it's a Greek word for looms, city oh, of looms. Oh, really? Okay. I love that. Yeah. The boys were either given the option of serving a mission or going in the army. Mm. That was the family's decision, not the church's decision. Mm. But I knew a lot of families that pushed their boys to either you go on a mission or you go to the army. Neither of those is a good option for a closeted gay man. No, I was terrified. Oh my goodness, speaking of that, I missed the draft by two years because I was born in 1958. They were taking anyone at that time, ah. born in 1960 onwards. Wow. So I thought, yes, I missed it by two years. <laughs> yeah. I was excited about that. So this was the draft for Vietnam, was it? Yeah. Oh my God, what a clusterfuck that was, hey? Oh, it was. What year did that finish? That finished around 76, didn't it? Around that time, yeah. A year before I graduated high school. Yeah, okay. So that's a whole other divergence again, but what was your mother like as far as going on a mission? Did she want you to go or was she cool with you not going? Like, did she have any idea how you felt? My mother had no idea how I felt. I kept quiet about my sexuality to my mother. I dated girls mm. in the church and she was just very supportive and very loving, very kind. Mm. And she had my back. Boy, if, if she knew what the church did to me behind her back, she would have lost her shit. In fact, she did. Mm. And that's years down the road. My mother was very supportive of everything I did. She was a very kind and generous person. She would give you the shirt off her back mm. and have, we were borderline poverty, mm. just hovering above the poverty level. She was very kind to people, especially converts to the church who the Mormons did not really love. Yeah. You know, they were very judgmental people. 
Mm. Yeah, the outsiders. Yeah, she looked after outsiders. Yeah. I've got a question about your mum. Yeah. If she was Baptist before she became Mormon, what was it about the Latter-day Saint theology that made her want to convert? I remember her telling me that she was looking for something different because she was tired of religions who didn't know what they believed. I remember asking my Baptist friends when I was a kid, what do you believe? Is it we're not to question, we're just to follow God? Okay, fine. Don't read the Bible. You listen to what the preacher says, you do what the preacher says. says, Okay, but the Bible's in my home, I can read it. No, let the preacher decide, Uh... you know. Uh, So my mother, uh, when it came to the church, she wanted to try something different. And then when her friends from the Southern Baptist Church started harassing her about taking the discussions with the Mormon Church, that really pushed her over the edge. She obviously didn't see that being in the Mormon religion was doing harm to you. And probably the things that were particularly controlling for you didn't affect her. So she probably just didn't realize. Is that sort of what happened? That's exactly what people say. Well, how can you not see that your child was gay or not happy? It was a different time. Years down the road, she knew Mm. that she was very open about two-spirited LGBTQ plus folks. The rainbow alphabet, as we call it. (laughs) (laughs) And she was very supportive. I know even in the 90s when Patience and I grew up, you didn't talk a lot about different sexualities and genders. Even then, 20 years after you went through it, you know, being gay was still seen as being a bad thing or, you know, you'd make fun of people for being gay or whatever. Like, I imagine in your time... They considered it a mental illness. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Lily! (laughs) I think she's on mute. I love Lily. Sorry, come and say hi, Lily. Patience and Mark want to say hi. Hello. Hey, Lily. Hi. They've seen a lot of stuff about you on Facebook. You are an amazing person, Lily. Thank you. I admire you. I really do. Thank you. You're going to go places. Probably mentally, I'm not very good places. No, you're going to take over the world, aren't you? Okay, well, yeah. No, I'm probably going to... Oh, All that. Wow. Yeah, one of them. <laughs> uh, you go back to your YouTube and your TikToks and whatever else. Cool. Uh, she's a firecracker, that one. <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much. Oh, isn't she awesome? Uh, but anyway, back to uh, being gay in the 70s. Yeah, it just did not happen. Yeah. Obviously, they had underground with the disco era. We know that that was actually secretly an underground gay community. Mm. where you could be yourself and not be judged by cause of the way you dressed. And luckily, and it upsets people when I say this, but clothing, hair, everything is unisex back in the 70s. Mm. Men and women go into the salons to come up with the same fucking haircut. (laughs) It didn't matter. Oh, I feel so bad about all the little polyesters that died making all those fucking suits. (laughs) (laughs) Those really tight flared pants where uh, the man's bulge on the front looked like it was about to burst. Boys wore hip huggers too, the low rise. And they were about halfway over your butt cheeks. And to cover that area, you just did not show your underwear like they do now. Mm. So the guys even had these shirts that would stretch down and you could snap them in the crotch (laughs) so that it stayed tucked in. I know those. Every now and then the clip would snap. And when you would sit down, oh my gosh, it was painful. You got to sit down and it's bang, ah, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Every day at school, I had to sit and, and endure that and go home at the end of the day and just bust out. How were so many kids born in that area? It was like the testicles were getting pretty kind of squashed and squished and uh, didn't have a lot of room to breathe. Yeah, yeah. You did mention earlier you've got some kids and you were married at one stage. Yeah, tell us a bit more. My ex-wife served a mission in Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. After she finished serving her mission, we met at a young adult social. Fast forward, lengthy relationship of three months, and then we were engaged because the bishop was pushing us to marry. We've met, you're happy, now get married. We were married six months later. Yeah, patience is sitting there going, what the fuck? But in Mormon culture, that is very common. Mm-hmm. Meet a girl that week, 
get engaged the following week and married like two weeks later. Oh, my God. Yeah, and God told me to marry her. God showed me her face. Oh, of course he did. Oh. Yeah. So meeting someone and being married within a matter of weeks or months was not uncommon. Right. I was guilty of it too. Patients the story of my first wife a bit too well. I was only six months after meeting her that we were married and I'd only actually physically been with her for two weeks or so. But that's just how it was. Yeah. You'd pray, the Spirit would tell you, marry this person. And you would do it. Or you would get pressured by members of the church or your family, depending on how devout they were. Or you'd just be really super horny and you can't have sex till you're married. And so people would just be like, yeah, you'll do. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, actually. I know a lot of people I grew up with married very soon. Just for sex. To people that they're completely incompatible with, they have nothing in common with. And now they're around my age and they're not happy at all. They're just stuck in this rut. Yeah. For a lot of them, it's the promise of eternal happiness that keeps mm-hmm. them going. You know, it's like, oh, we're not happy now, but when we go into the eternities, it'll be all good and happy. We've just got to endure. Yeah. People would rather stay for decades in a miserable marriage to someone that they're not compatible with yeah. rather than say, hey, this isn't right. We've got to get out of this. Yeah. Lots of unhappy people having very bad sex in the Mormon church. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. Very prevalent there. Yeah. So anyway, so you got married and had some kids. I mean, how were you managing to put aside your real sexuality and feelings in that time? I mean, that, that must have been very hard. I see you smiling, sister patients. Every time we say the word hard, we start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Rest assured that almost always when there is a word that gets said that can be taken in an innuendo way, I'm thinking it, even if I'm not saying it. Innuendo or in your endo. I don't even know where we were. All I know is... <laughs> It was hard. It was hard. So hard. Very hard. (laughs) And having kids as a closet of gay man, I think is what we were talking about. Oh. And how did you get it up for your wife? Good question. (laughs) Well, there you go. Patience went straight to the big question. (laughs) Yeah, you just... I was trying to be a bit more diplomatic and subtle, patient. Like, how did you? I know guys are pretty trigger happy, so I guess it's not entirely surprising. Mm. Just almost a sexual context can do it. It doesn't have to be something you're really into, but it must have been a bit tricky to maintain that all those years. Yeah, I've always had an inside joke. I have a great sense of humor now, and I had 30 years depression where I wanted to kill myself every single day I thought about it and now I'm so happy I can't even remember what it felt like that's wonderful it is it really is I always have this inside joke about my family my great grandmother had a fling with a married guy his last name was Kennedy and I'll pop my grandpa Ooh. so technically I'm a Kennedy and I hear those Kennedys are horny fuckers. Oh yeah they are. He had a big ass family over here and then he had a little fling with my great grandmother and she had one child and he ended up having 12 kids. Wow. So I think even a gay guy with a Kennedy gene could probably keep it up. They're just great breeders. That's my theory. (laughs) It's a hard hypothesis test but going on the evidence I think he could be onto something. I actually had to think about things that excited me. You don't want to be offensive or hurtful to the one you were once married to. But I was going through the motions because they promised God would heal us. God would make us whole. God could cure anything. I read Spencer W. Kimball's book, you know, The Miracle of Forgiveness. I had been going to therapy from 1976-ish until age 42 around that time. I've spoken to a few friends in the church I grew up with who have since come out as gay or trans or whatever. One of the things they all said is when they went to their bishop or their mission president or whoever to talk about it, quite often they were told, oh, once you're married, you'll be fine. Yeah, well, that's sort of what I thought too. Once you get yourself some pussy, it'll all be gone. (laughs) It'll all be out of the way. We believed it. It doesn't work like that. And also praying and going to the temple and yeah. uh, taking the sacrament, being yourself worthy, uh, mm. living the word of wisdom. Yeah, all of that shit. Just suck the living life out of people. If you did that, then God would make you whole. Yeah. I thought I was abnormal. Mm. I'd been brainwashed that I had been molested by a guy, which is why mm. I had the same sex attraction. You did end up going to gay conversion therapy at some stage. 
Yeah, after age 40. Yeah, okay. Cause oh, I didn't tell you how many children I have. I have six children, <laughs> four boys, two girls. Eldest son is gay, uh, and it's okay. He's openly gay. Mm -hmm. He came out a year before I did. Wow. The bishop told him he was not welcome if he was going to behave in such a way. I looked at the bishop at the time, and I said, we're Christians. We're supposed to be compassionate and loving to all people. Mm -hmm and we should not judge others. And he says, well, your son's not welcome. And I said, okay, I'm going to go home and think about this. I never went back. Oh, good on you. And then a year later, I came out. You probably saw the signs early on because it was similar to what you went through. I was aware, yeah. I grasped the spiritual side of Mormonism. I didn't grasp logistical stuff. You know, I, I followed the spirit of the law and my ex followed the letter of the law. It was very difficult. This weed is kicking in now. Yay! <laughs> Excellent! I can't wait to see if it helps make your interpretation of the scriptures quite colorful. Jesus! I secretly went to conversion therapy. It just got to the point where I was going to have a meltdown. One side, I was living a good Mormon life, yeah. good husband, good father. On the other side, I was a secret, closeted gay person and very, very depressed. Oh, yeah. We're mostly lighthearted and humorous on this podcast, but I think this is something that we do need to discuss. People need to understand what it's like to be gay in the church, but also what this conversion therapy bullshit is like. I don't know what the situation is in Canada and America right now. I know recently in Queensland, the state where me and patients live, gay conversion therapy has been made illegal. Yeah, it's illegal in Canada now. Okay. I was so happy. Yeah, but just tell us a little bit about what did you have to do with, with the gay conversion therapy? Conversion therapy depends on the severity and how willing you are to work with the bishop or whoever your church counselor is. Did you have something dirty go through your mind? Work with the bishop, hey? I knew it. Oh, look, I'm sure the bishop wanted you to work with him too. Yeah. I bet there was some closeted gays in the conversion practice. I remember confessing to a bishop once about a sexual encounter and I swear it ended up being like penthouse forum. He wanted to know lots of details and then what happened? Then what happened? And his face went red and I swear he was having a hard on underneath his desk as I was telling all this stuff I did. Yeah. Uh, I think I saw that in a porn once. <laughs> There's quite a few Mormon-themed pornos. I know, I collect them. Look, you've got to get something horny out of this. Anyways, your story with the gay conversion therapy. They don't just all of a sudden send you to shock therapy, give you a lobotomy. I could have said, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. That's where I was. Hmm. I was very agreeable. At age 40, when I had that epiphany, I knew I couldn't fix what wasn't broken. Did you honestly feel that there was something wrong with you and you were sinning? Oh, man, the sweetest <laughs> Jesus Christ. We should get through this side of the story quickly then and then get to reading the Book of Mormon and have some more fun. <laughs> yeah, mine was not as severe as electroshock therapy. This was more like the church therapist getting in my face who says, you're a fucking faggot. You know you are. And if you don't stop doing this, I'm going to tell your entire family in front of the church. I will never forget that. Mm. And I allowed this to go on again because of brainwashing. I thought, well, at least they could make me feel better about myself. Because I knew I couldn't change it. But it got to the point where I was getting threats. This man would just threaten me week after week after week and have me cowering in the corner Fuck. and crying, begging for forgiveness. Yeah. And so that was the start of it. But when I finally said I'd had enough, I just played along and said, I feel better now. Thank you so much. I went to the bishop and said, I don't need to see him anymore. I'm fine. I knew I wasn't. Prior to that, he had mentioned that this doesn't work. We have a facility. And so we left it at that. And I never heard from him again. Never saw him at church. You didn't go as far as to go to the facility then? No. Oh, thank God you didn't. I'm just sitting there thinking, how the fuck did they possibly think that saying to someone you're a fucking faggot I'm going to tell your whole family is going to like do any good. I was terrified. This was a therapist who was also a Latter-day Saint. And it's a church who supposedly teaches love one another and... They certainly didn't. Yeah, yeah. I never met a more gossipy, more hateful, more judgmental people than the Mormons. Oh, yeah. And I was a Mormon for 30 years. I paid 10% of my net income mm. for the 30 years. I went to church every single Sunday. Mm. I served as counselor to the bishop, worked in the temple. I was the best home teacher in the ward. I really enjoyed 
helping people where mm. I saw others just doing it for numbers. And then they treat me like garbage mm. overnight. They even told my children to stay away from me. I even caught wind of them referring to me as a pedophile because I'm gay. I work for the Board of Education and that could ruin my reputation just by hateful words. Hate that. Yeah. And that's something they do a lot, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. like being gay automatically leads to pedophilia. They always like to link those two together. A lot of the churches do that. Here just a few years ago when they were passing a law to legalize same-sex marriage, you know, one of the arguments that a lot of the people against it were making was, oh, it's going to lead to pedophilia and people wanting to marry horses and animals and you know, all this crazy shit. It's like, no, nah, it's just going to result in two people who love each other getting married. That's about it. Mm -hmm. So now you're in a very happy place. You're comfortable with yourself. You're happily married. You've got a relationship with your kids now, I believe you. Yes, I do. Five out of six have left the church, but we all speak. And now you're a marijuana, smoking, eating, drinking uh, grandfather, and you've really embraced who you are, aren't you? You mentioned earlier, you know, you enjoy the wearing of the women's clothes and, and you've got the beautiful long hair. Do you feel finally you are who you are, just able to be yourself? Yes. Sometimes I feel more masculine. Sometimes I feel more feminine and I'm okay with that. I wouldn't want to change a thing. You're married to a man now. I believe you got married pretty soon after it became legal where you lived too, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Stephen and I will have been married seven years this August. Since you're, you're high and in a happy place now, we'll move on from the serious conversation. How about we get in and read this? Oh, Mark's frozen. Mark! Am I frozen? So your screen's frozen. Beautiful pose. It is a good shot. He's so happy. Can you hear me? You're doing this perfect happy pose. He's so high right now. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I haven't looked at this for 20 years, and I had memorized all this shit. So much innuendo and homoeroticism. <laughs> I'm as happy as a little girl. <laughs> Chapter six, let's roll. Let's do this. And now I, Nephi, do not give the genealogy of my father's in this part of my record, neither at any time shall I give it after upon these plates which I am writing. For it is given in the record which has been kept by my father <laughs> that Joseph Smith intentionally lost. Wherefore, I do not write it in this work, for it sufficeth me to say that we are descendants of Joseph, and it mattereth not to me that I am particular to give a full account of all the things of my father, for they cannot be written upon these plates. No, that would just be too long. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't want to waste time. For I desire the room that I may write of the things of God. Well, he's sure filling it up with a lot of the stuff that's not of God. <laughs> <laughs> For the fullness of mine intent is that I may persuade men to come unto the God of Abraham. Oh, oh, they're coming unto God. Oh. This is some sort of kake uh, thing. Dicks everywhere. Total sausage fest. And the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And be saved. Wherefore, the things which are pleasing unto the world, I do not write. But the things which are pleasing unto God and unto those who are not of the world. That coming with other gods is what's pleasing unto God. Oh, God is very pleased. God's clearly into, like, the group stuff. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, God's into orgies. Definitely. Lots of gods here coming yeah. onto people. <laughs> God's a collectivist. <laughs> Yes. Uh, I'm not sure what I think about that. Wherefore, I shall give commandment unto my seed that they shall not occupy these plates with things which are not of worth unto the children of men. He's just said he's going to tell all of his descendants not to put anything on the plates that isn't relevant to people. I'm going to ask you this. So far of everything we've read, what do you consider to be relevant to people? Not very much. Coming on. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one really gravitated to me. Yeah, it's so good for your skin. Mm -hmm. uh. Yeah, he's not making a very good argument for himself at the moment, is he? You know, oh, let's save space on the plate, only chisel that which is relevant. Chapter 7. All right, let's do it. And now I would that ye might know that after my father Lehi had made an end of prophesying concerning his seed, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto him again, saying that it was not meet for him. Oh, it certainly was meat for him, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Lehi, that he should take his family into the wilderness alone, but that his sons should take daughters to wife, and they may raise up seed unto the Lord. 
in the land of promise. They've left Jerusalem once. Then they're like, shit, we need our money. They've gone back, killed someone, kidnapped someone and brought them back with them. And now they're there again. He's like, oh, shit, might need some women. Go back and get some women. And so off they go. They go back to Jerusalem to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go spread our seed. Yeah, because that's what we do. <gasps> woman, woman. Uh, no, the last time I spread my seed, it was in a tissue. But anyway, that's a whole different <laughs> And it came to pass... That the Lord commanded him that I, Nephi, and my brethren should again return unto the land of Jerusalem and bring down Ishmael and his family into the wilderness. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, did again with my brethren go forth into the wilderness to go up to Jerusalem. Yeah, no complaints this time from Laman and Lemuel. They complain when they go back for the money, but when they're told go back and grab some pussy, they're no complaining. They're all for it. Let's go. We'll get the women. Uh, and it came to pass that we went up unto the house of Ishmael, and we did gain favor in the sight of Ishmael, insomuch that we did speak unto him the words of the Lord. And it came to pass that the Lord did soften, don't worry, it's only softening the heart of Ishmael. We want to soften anything else. And everything else is hard for the rest of the chapter. <laughs> <laughs> and also his household in so much that they took their journey with us down into the wilderness to the tent of our father. Mark, I want to ask you something. As a father of sons and daughters, you say, me and my brothers come to your house. We've been having a bit of a chat with God, and um, he says that you've got to let us take your daughters to be our wives to go into the middle of nowhere. You can come with us if you like. How do you respond to that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. I'm, I'm... Let them leave the nest. Okay, well. Take them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Just get them out of the house, okay? Yeah, all right, yeah. Jesus. God, God says you and your daughters are going to come with us, all right? So, so clearly Nephi and his brothers gave Ishmael just the right amount of pot mm -hmm. so that Ishmael was in the same state that Mark's in right now. Oh, uh, yes. And Ishmael's like, yeah, whatever, man. Take my daughters, I'll come with you. It's all good. <laughs> Is that a leprechaun? Little dear potatoes. And it came to pass that as we journeyed in the wilderness, behold, Laman and Lemuel, and two of the daughters of Ishmael, and the two sons of Ishmael and their families, did rebel against us, yea, against me, Nephi and Sam, and their father Ishmael, and his wife, and his three other daughters. It looks like a three-year-old rodent. <laughs> Yes, yes, they were three years old. Okay, Lily, read verse seven. And it came to pass in which rebellion they were desirous to return unto the land of Jerusalem. And now I, Nephi, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, therefore I spat <laughs> unto them, <laughs> saying, Yeah. Even unto the man and unto the male, behold, ye are mine elder brethren, and how it is that ye are so hard in your heart and so blind in your minds that ye have need that I, your younger. And we're back. I've composed myself. <laughs> Okay, well, that was my daughter Lily jumping in for a couple of verses there, and she's as confused as the rest of us, right? All right, patient, first and foremost, are you recording again? I am recording. Wish we had weed in church. Instead of bread, have weed edibles, and instead of water, have the wine. Yeah, maybe I would still be there. You might have actually experienced God. Yeah, second thing would be a lot more fun, and they would lose less members. They should learn from us. And once again, patience, good luck editing this later. It cut out halfway through verse 8. Me and Lily can tag team verse 8. And now I, Nephi, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, therefore I speak, <laughs> or as Lily said, spat <laughs> <laughs> unto them, saying, Yea, even unto Laman and unto Lemuel, behold, ye are mine elder brethren. And how is it that ye are so hard in your heart and so blind in your minds that ye have need that I, your younger brother, should speak unto you, yea, and set an example for you? Oh, such an example. I mm. mean, he talks a lot, but where's his fucking example? <laughs> 
we need this to be a video podcast so that we can see Mark's show and tell. This is my Urim and Thummim. Urim and Thummim. Because I think it was two stones. <laughs> two stones. Two stones. Yes, two stones. Alcohol goggles. And if you look through them, yes, you saw shit and you learn shit because this shit is deep. Yeah, like, so deep. deep you like it deep, don't you? Yeah. So did Nephi. He liked it real deep too. How is it that ye have not hearkened unto the word of the Lord? Yes, how? I don't know. How? <laughs> how is it that ye have forgotten that ye have seen an angel of the Lord? Yea, and how is it that ye have forgotten what great things the Lord hath done for us in delivering us out of the hands of Laban, and also that we should obtain the record? Yea. And how is it that ye have forgotten? Yay. <laughs> yay. Yay. <laughs> Give us another yay, Mark. Yay. 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 That the Lord is able to do all things according to his will for the children of men, if it so be that they exercise faith in him. Wherefore, let us be faithful to him. Oh, Mark's going to read. Can you read, Mark? Listen up, bitches. And if it so be that we are faithful to him, we shall obtain land of promise. Demon colon, and <laughs> ye shall know at some future period, ooh, that's going to be messy, that the word of the Lord shall be fulfilled, fulfilled. concerning fulfilled. the destruction of Jerusalem for all things which the Lord has spoken concerning the destruction of mm. Jerusalem must be fulfilled. Amen, Brother Mark. I get Southern when I read the scriptures. <laughs> for behold, the Spirit of the Lord seetheth soon to strive with them. For behold, they have rejected the prophets, and Jeremiah have they cast into prison. That's right, they cast him into a sex dungeon. <laughs> and they have sought to take away the life of my father, insomuch that they have driven him out of the land. Now, behold, I say unto you that if ye will return unto Jerusalem, ye shall also perish with them. And now, if ye have choice, go up to the land and remember the words which I speak unto you, that if ye go, ye will also perish. For thus the Spirit of the Lord constraineth me <laughs> that I should speak. Constraints. <laughs> Constraining is definitely very S&M, though. The Lord constraineth me, now you shall have your way with me. And it came to pass that when I, Niffy, had spoken these words unto my brethren, they were angry with me. And it came to pass... Twice in the same verse. Wow! That they did lay their hands upon me. For behold, they were exceedingly wroth. Is that what they're calling it now? Mm. When they put your hands upon you? Ooh. Oh, hang on. Wrath. You want Pinky to read the next sentence? And they did bind me with cords, for they sought to take away my life. Oh, that they might leave me in the wilderness to be devoured by wild beasts. Now we're getting beasts. kinky. <laughs> now we're getting kinky. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Told you. Yeah. Hey, Mark, have you ever been wroth and devoured by wild beasts? While being blinded? That was a very homoerotic line. <laughs> I'd never looked at it like that before. Holy shit. But it came to pass that I prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, according to my faith which is in thee, wilt thou deliver me from the hands of my brethren? Yea, even give me strength that I may burst these bands with which I am bound. I should have thought of a much simpler safety word. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a long thing to have to say in that situation. I mean, they could have just said the safety word is banana. And it came past I before I did call out banana, and they set me free. Pineapple. I think that they say, and it came to pass so often, that if they remove that phrase from the Book of Mormon... It would be half as long. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it says he broke free from his bands. It should also say that his chiseling hand was the first one to break free because it was so huge. 18. And it came to pass that when I had said these words, behold, the bands were loose from off my hands and feet. Well, you know, he'd already come. And I stood before my brethren and I spake unto them again. And it came to pass 
that they were angry with me again and sought to lay hands upon me. Oh, second time. Uh. But behold, one of the daughters of Ishmael, yea, also her mother. Oh, girl. What? There's more. Keep on going. And one of the sons of Ishmael <laughs> did plead with my brethren insomuch that they did soften their hearts and they did cease striving to take away my life. And it came to pass that they were sorrowful because of their wickedness insomuch that they did bow down before me. Why the sudden change? I don't get it. Because another couple and another man got involved and then they started bowing down. So, you know, join the dots on that. Well, someone had to bend over, I suppose, and did plead with me that I would forgive them of the thing that they had done against me. <laughs> They're dancing around what actually took place, the thing. That involved lots of tying down and pleading and calling God's name and safety words. The way I'm picturing it is that Nephi is kind of a bukkake situation at the moment. He's like, you know, just covered in cum. And that's what caused his cords to become unbound. They just sort of slipped off. Mm-hmm. I've been there. Been there before. <laughs> so you speak the truth. Hallelujah. Uh, verse 21. And it came to pass that I did frankly forgive them all. Quite frankly. And I did exhort them that they would pray unto the Lord their God for forgiveness. And it came to pass that they did so. And after they had done praying unto the Lord, we did again travel on our journey towards the tent of our father. Oh, so they haven't even reached the orgy tent of their father yet. No, no, this was a this was a halfway orgy. <laughs> yeah, like like a, a practice orgy before the big game. <laughs> Last verse. And it came to pass. That we- I'm running out of dings. There are so many dings in this one. There's only so many times you can ding in a day, isn't it, Paul? What's your mess? <laughs> I think I found it. Ding. <laughs> and it came to pass that we did come down unto the tent of our father. Oh, they come down and they went down. And after I and my brethren and all the house of Ishmael had come down unto the tent of my father, they did give thanks unto the Lord their God semen colon and they did offer sacrifice and burnt offerings unto him we made it (laughs) that took us so fucking long to get through that chapter (laughs) i think this is the most in depth i've done with this (laughs) chapter in all my 30 years in the church yeah and the most entertaining Yes, Brother Mark, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with us. We'll get you on again sometime, hey? Yeah, that'd be great. Definitely high and, high and drunk reading is definitely the way to do this. Oh, my gosh. I would have seen right through this shit if I was high. All right. Well, um, Mark, any closing words before we wrap this up? Any, any words of wisdom you want to leave to our listeners? Just embrace the moment. Uh, that's what I started doing a few years ago. I'm an AIDS and cancer survivor. Wow. In uh, 2016, I only had a few weeks left to live. If it wasn't for my husband, I wouldn't be here. AIDS and cancer. That's amazing. I'm a survivor. Thank you for letting me share that and my life and some good fucking laughs, man. <laughs> well, thank you again, Brother Mark. And Sister Patience, anything from you to close out the week? Just go forth and be blasphemous and, um, yeah, that's it. And once again, we've given you a hell of a shit show to try to edit. <laughs> good luck. May the Lord guide you and bless you as you have bridged this recording. Yes. I'm bearing my testimony. (laughs) Well, on that note, brothers and sisters, until next week, this has been the Book of Boredom. Amen, brothers and sisters. Amen. See you later. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.